welcome to the Master Your Healthcare Career Podcast, hosted by Dr. Anthony Stanowski. It can be hard to decide the next step to advance your career in healthcare. Join Dr. Anthony Stanowski, President and CEO, Commission on Accreditation of Healthcare Management Education, otherwise known as CAMI, and longtime mentor in the field as he interviews guests about the challenges and successes that shaped them into the leaders they are today. Whether you want to continue your education, make a change in your career, or learn what it takes to lead, this is the podcast for you. On today's episode of Master Your Healthcare Career, we welcome Dr. Ashley Parks, Assistant Professor at Appalachian State University. Prior to her time teaching, Dr. Parks served in community hospitals, large health systems, county departments of public health, health policy, and in health plans. Dr. Parks channels her passion for professional education and mentorship to help students craft career strategies. Her goal is simple, to enable students to be competitive in the employment market upon graduation. This perspective has guided Dr. Parks in her research, where she seeks to understand the core competencies and skills for students. On today's session, Dr. Sanowski and Dr. Parks explore the key competencies and skills for graduates entering the healthcare workforce. What do you need to know? What are the skills you need to be successful in landing a job in healthcare and in being successful in that job and to master your healthcare career? Well, let's listen in. Okay, thank you, Melissa, for that introduction. And um, I want to welcome to our listeners to Master Your Healthcare Career, uh, a special session that we have with Dr. Ashley Parks from uh, a professor at Appalachian State University in healthcare management. So Ashley, welcome to to the podcast. Pleasure to be here with you today. Ashley, you and I had some time to talk in Salt Lake City, and I I got to learn a little bit about you and the research that you were doing. And I want to kind of go into that research. uh, But before we do that, I think what would be very interesting for our listeners is to understand a little bit about your healthcare journey, you know, and and how you've kind of come to be, you know, a, a faculty member at Appalachian State. So if you can, if you can kind of talk a little bit about that. Uh, So as many of us start out, I started out uh, wanting to go into medicine or health in some format. Um, Growing up as a child, my mom, um, she's disabled. She had multiple sclerosis and she was in and out of facilities. And I saw those facilities. And at the time, I didn't realize this, but I think it was setting me up for that process improvement lens, that understanding of, you know, of all the inner workings of the health system and all the various roles. And so uh, I actually started out on the health promotion side, got an MPH, um, and really wanted to change health for individuals. And then I started working in health services administration and discovered, oops, I love health services administration. I started working in healthcare quality, um, pursued an MBA, uh, pursued a DRPH in health services leadership and management, uh, and just kept going. Um, I just kept going back to school, different certifications, different learning opportunities, and I couldn't quite figure out why. Why am I going back to school so much? Why am I advancing my career in health services? And then (laughs) I discovered uh, it's because I want to teach. It's because I want to be able to sit with students in the classroom and share with them about each one of these fields from an important perspective. And so my journey has brought me here where I'm a a professor. I mostly teach uh, org behavior, healthcare quality, but I've taught a lot of finance, a lot of strategy courses from the perspective of someone who's worked in a health plan, worked in a hospital system, um, ambulatory care, and I love it. Yeah, all, all the different settings that you were that you served in as a practitioner and to kind of say, okay, now what I really kind of see is I can have a larger impact if I teach the next generation how to kind of really improve 
healthcare processes. So uh, a, a neat journey. And I think, you know, um, what you hear from a lot of people in healthcare, it's very much a personal journey as you kind of move through it. Um, the research that you've done, to me, I, I remember sitting down and you were kind of describing what you did. I was like, wow, this is exactly what CAMI looks at a lot. What are the competencies and how do we kind of move people along in those competencies? Um, could you take a couple of minutes and just kind of describe the particular research project that you did and, and maybe also kind of talk about what inspired you to do this particular research? In this particular project, this was a, a mixed methods project, right? So we surveyed uh, 1,141 um, administrators, managers, mostly preceptors of students coming into the health services administration roles, as well as conducting key informant interviews. So then we, um, I conducted uh, key informant interviews with 45 individuals, some of which were on the HR side, but primarily hiring managers, director level and above. So individuals who are hiring students who are finishing their degrees, their MHAs or undergrad in, in health services administration. It was very interesting how this project came about. Um, I do a lot of research work that's very student focused, not a lot that's as practical focused anymore. A lot of my work has been advising thesis students and working with undergraduate research projects. So um, going back uh, to late 2019, I was talking with some undergraduate students and a graduate student I was working with, and they all had different research interests. One of them uh, had taken my healthcare IT class and just was absolutely in love with the idea of being a project manager, wanted to collect data on the value of project management within the health services profession. Wonderful. I had another student who was very, very interested in DEI. Many of us were. And so we said, okay, we have to figure out there's a way of you know, taking the pulse and figuring out what different organizations are doing and thinking about DEI as a competency, as an as a area of importance for new individuals entering the workforce. I had another student who was very interested in technology, had started out as a computer science major, came over to health services administration and wanted to understand where that middle ground is. Mm -hmm. Then that kind of fueled my own interest. I had been working to try to see how can I prepare students for the workforce? What can I do with my limited four, five, six classes I was teaching at the time, right? I got one quality class, one finance class, one IT class one you know, capstone course, one general leadership course. What can I do with these? And at the time, I had been infusing a lot of Microsoft Excel and Tableau and these data uh, technical skill-related workshops, a lot of Lean Six Sigma and Microsoft Visio, and trying to have students master those skills because they were what helped me promote in my career. I think uh, coming up in the early 2000s, knowing Microsoft Excel and Visio and those tools made such a difference for me. So... I decided, let's collect some data. Let's find out why, uh, why hiring managers want to hire new graduates or not. Let's find out what competencies they value the most. And I had a really interesting discussion with one of my students because I had brought the ACHE competency model to our meeting. And I said, you know, this is what I normally use. This is what I share with my grad and my undergrad students so they understand what they are aiming for in their careers. And one of my students said, well, why aren't we using the NCHL model, right? You brought that up in one of my classes. I said, it's absolutely appropriate. Let's use both. And in that moment, it reminded me of a moment I'd had five, six years prior with a student. I'd been teaching a health services leadership course at a Cal State. And I had kind of as a mock extra credit exercise, had them fill out the ACHE competency model. 
Not at all appropriate for undergraduates, by the way, right? So I had a student walk up to me and say, you know, Dr. Parks, what does this mean? You know, contracting processes. Uh, am I a one or am I a five on contracting processes? I said, if you don't know what it is, you're, you're a one. <laughs> but it was very cute that that honest, beautiful moment of the student saying, and that's when I realized, well, I want you to see what you can go into. I want you to see the subfields and the disciplines and the opportunities <laughs> but I don't want you to feel like you know nothing, right? But this is this is an assessment tool for executives. And I and I practice it that way, but I want them to just get a peek. And so in that discussion, we decided let's incorporate both models. And both models, as I'm sure we'll discuss a little bit, have have various tenants that make them very good at what they do, make them very good at competency assessment and at planning for an individual's professional future. And so we infused both into this exercise. Um, we also included a set of questions um, with a list of applications. So we, we touched on the technical skills, the Microsoft Excel, the Tableau, um, the Adobe Pro. What, what do you need to, to, to know or what would they prefer we incorporate in our curriculum? And then, of course, um, had a few focused DEI questions, including just a general ranking. Um, similar to the other competencies, right? How much do you value awareness and confidence in navigating that landscape? Um, and that, uh, we can talk about that a little more later if it comes up, but that that was, it ended up not being, it ended up not being useful in the way I thought it would be because I was hoping to look at different settings and subfields and how they value DEI. And the answer was everyone did, right? It was a 4.94 out of five. <laughs> everyone across every landscape and of course, we're dealing with social desirability bias and other factors, but everyone said, yes, it's time. Yes, this is an important um, uh, tenant for individuals entering the workforce. So that's just a little bit about, about the, the, the study itself. Uh, the data that we've, we've garnished from this has really led to a lot of you know, discussions about reflection and curriculum change. And, and it's just been a joy to have more candid, informed discussions with students about what I think they need to develop as far as their own skills as they're entering a specific setting in the workforce, right? Yeah, a student yeah. says they want to go into healthcare quality, and I can say, well, we surveyed quality managers, and this is what they they listed at the top. So it's been very interesting. Actually, it's fascinating when you kind of talk about your career path and, and what kind of got you in and what, what started very similar to, to my own. It's when I graduated from a CAMI accredited program in Widener University back in the 1980s. It kind of, I'm sorry to date myself at this point, but uh, when I started at my first uh, in a fellowship, um, it was my computer skills that really enabled me to kind of make a presence, gather data, do the analysis of it. But it really isn't the computer skills that take you the step further. It's it's some of the competencies that you've kind of outlined as important within the research study. It's almost like that's the way to get in. It's the table stakes. It's what you need to know. You need to know Excel. If you don't know Excel kind of going in, you're not even going to get your foot in the door. But to advance, uh, the analytical capabilities are important. But there are other things that are far more important. So do you want to talk about some of the, the competencies that you found that really were probably more important to um, employees entering the workforce. If you don't mind me piggybacking though, just for a second off of okay. what you said related to the technical skills and the and the um and and having more there there as it's to the ability to facilitate and do more with the information. 
early on in my career, I, I was hired into a role. This was right um, as I was finishing grad school as an administrative assistant in the quality department um, in a small uh, uh, not-for-profit hospital. And in that role, I leveraged those Excel skills. I did analysis that wasn't expected, and I kept assuming more accountability and responsibility for different roles. And it benefited me greatly. I was promoted to a quality analyst months, and then from there, my career grew, and then I ended up working with that health system again later in my career in a leadership role. That being said, I, I thought that the Excel skills were carrying me forward. And I remember these discussions with students years later about the value of those. However, I had one key moment where I had put together an analysis for my supervisor, my mentor, who is a fabulous professional, um, MHA background. Um, I had put together this analysis for her and she had taken it to a meeting. And I saw the meeting packet later on her desk and it said analysis by, and it listed her name. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, 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 no. And I approached her and she said, oh, you know, that wasn't intentional. You know, someone in the administrative suite put that on there because I was bringing it to the meeting. But how about you come to the next meeting, Ashley, and you present your analysis. This was all quality infection control data. You present the analysis to the docs. I said, sure. Um, so I was 23 and I went to present my analysis and they for lack of a better term, they ate me alive. It was it was a bloodbath. It was terrible. I stumbled all over it. They asked a lot of questions related to sample size. And is this really statistically significant and things that now would be fun to discuss? At the time, I was just mortified. And I learned that from that moment, what we take and what we do with the data and information as we move through these roles is so important. And so having those Excel skills is key but using them appropriately. And so I, I really tried to bring that into my, um, my work with students and transitioning to what skills ranked at the top. Uh, you can see that while I was concerned about those technical skills, still a decade, you know, two decades later, I hadn't learned my lesson. Individuals uh, that I surveyed and that I spoke with didn't rank those technical skills at the top, right? They're valuable, uh, especially for the new generation, especially with more individuals retiring in the workforce. But instead, what was ranked at the top, our number one skill, self-awareness, 4.7. Um, and, and you and I have talked a little bit about this. It's very interesting because that's one area that has a tremendous amount of overlap between the ACHE and the NCHL models, right? Yeah. Uh, it's present very strong in both. But what I loved about this process of collecting the data is the ACHE model has these overarching categories and then the, the competencies beneath. NCHL model has kind of these single line items with a definition is how it's set up in its written model. And so it may be very easy to incorporate their definitions. So I asked these hiring managers how they felt about self-awareness, but I told them self-awareness is the ability to have an accurate view of one's own strengths and development needs, right? Along with the full definition related to trying new approaches, right? And, and testing your capabilities. And so when they saw that full definition listed, that was an area that scored very high. Mm -hmm. Almost as high was communication skills on the speaking and facilitating side. I think that's so interesting. I, I always emphasize writing skills with my students, technical skills, but the ability to facilitate and lead a meeting, right? Yeah. 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 And then immediately beneath that, we have initiative and change leadership, which, of course, incredibly important. And I think initiative dovetails right into self-awareness, right? You know who you are, where you stand, but then you want to take ownership. And then the change leadership piece, right, builds into the, the facilitation, the communication, 
Uh, I noticed some trends across subfields, but these, it, regardless of setting or or field or discipline, finance, quality, right, pharma, it didn't matter. These these rose to the top, and to me, that really says that we need to be focusing on how to incorporate. I don't know that soft skills is the right way to think about it, but really that management thinking, critical thinking, self-awareness in the classroom. Yeah, the, one, of the, one of the things that you hear out in the field now is stop calling them soft skills because they're the hardest skills to learn, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh. And, you know, the, the uh, I, I was uh, sharing with you, you know, prior to kind of going on, Cami is in the middle of doing a white paper and the white paper is focusing on fellowships and, you know, there were a couple questions that we've kind of addressed in the white paper. And, and I hope, you know, by the time this uh, podcast comes out, that folks could check on our website and find our white paper on fellowships. But they, we looked at the personal, most desirable qualities of someone who is applying for a fellowship. And the number one area that uh, hiring managers look for in there is self-awareness. And then the personal characteristics that hiring managers look for are the ability to speak to previous projects or accomplishments and their diversity of background. Looking in there again, at some of the top skills. And then when you look at from Peregrine Global Services, they did an analysis on the competencies that were most improved over the course of a fellowship. Um, one of the areas that they found in there, one of the top uh, top six areas was in leadership and managing change, which all gets into the ability to understand yourself. You know, what do you do? What's what's really good? What are your strengths and weaknesses? What are, you know, your core parts as an individual and the ability to kind of communicate change to people? And it, 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 the consistency with your research and what you found, what to me was just amazing. Because you know, in my in my research presentation, I discussed how there were some statistically significant differences in skill prefer, skills preferred across organizational settings, and the likeliness of individuals to hire new grads. There were differences, but they weren't differences in these key areas. And I found that so interesting. Right, the individuals that I, I met with on the health plans side and the ones we surveyed there were very finance focused. Right, and that was true for a large uh, a large portion of the acute care medical centers as well. Um, the the quality focus, right? I saw with the the folks who were working on an HMO, ACO side, a lot of the pharma, right? It was interesting to see those scores would go up and down, right? The preferences, but really the desire to hire individuals who know who they are, who know what they stand for, who want to actively work to advance health services administration, right? There were those themes that came out in the interviews, right? And you don't see that in the in the quantitative data, but the idea that an individual who who can come in and 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 learn and approach situations with humility, but also understands what they're trying to accomplish and has key goals or, or, or clear goals, I think is really important. Yeah. yeah. The, the the challenge though for you is how do you teach self-awareness? Like that's you know, that's the the interesting part around here from a faculty member perspective. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? And I think that was, for me, the entire point of this research was to understand how do I improve teaching to, to, to the needs of the workforce and to making sure that graduates that come out of our programs are really oriented to what they need to know and understand. And it turns out what they need to know and understand is the field, the setting themselves, their role, um, and how they present themselves. 
And so there's a few there's a few components I've I've incorporated in the classroom, and and I try not to try not to use too many uh, pedagogical terms, but I really I really center myself on that idea of fostering reflective practice. So every assignment, submission, everything we work on coming back and saying, okay, was this really your best work, right? Does this really highlight the competencies that we said it would, or was this a 2 a.m. analysis? What are we looking at here? And having a lot of those discussions. And I think that uh, when you have uh, opportunities for, uh, for example, I know when I uh, went back to school for my third master's, because I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> uh, at that point, technology was pretty prolific, right? And we had to record ourselves in Zoom. And uh, I'm a nervous speaker, always have been. And recording myself and watching the presentations back, right? That experience for me, <laughs> I must have recorded some of those presentations, you know, 10, 12 times to try to get it right, to, to improve. And so I think that having my students um, prepare working across the continuum. They they work with and prepare data in the quality course. They then present that data. They then record themselves. They then reflect on that. Then they then have peers that go back and view the recording and reflect, realizing that the peers hopefully will will assess them with a measure of grace and and elevate their self confidence, but also provide key constructive feedback. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of peer assessments, a lot of self assessments, uh, and I, I like to layer the assignments that way. Um, the best experience that I've had actually so far is with having students help me create prompts, right? So a student develops a one-page summary sheet that maybe it's a healthcare quality improvement problem. They integrate some data from AHRQ and other agencies. Maybe they prepare an overview of, you know, this is C. diff in a hospital. And then they swap with another student group. That student group reviews that, prepares a response, puts together a quality improvement plan, records themselves presents it back to the other group of the executive committee. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, so I've done some of that where, again, students working with students, uh, I found that also engaging preceptors, right? And individuals who will come in and, and we, we talked about this, I think briefly back in June, but that that mentorship piece, if we can engage and have more of a dyad or a triad mentorship model with faculty who are engaged in having these discussions with professionals in the field with alumni, it makes a difference. Oh, absolutely. You know, that when you when you began uh, talking about that and you kind of mentioned the, you know, 3 a.m., I'm up in the morning, I got the day. I can't tell you how many times, first of all, myself as a new professional, you you run immediately to your boss and go, look what I did. And you didn't really kind of reflect on what you did. And and sometimes it just kind of like falls all apart very, pretty quickly. But the ability to take your information and data and reports and recommendations and to kind of sit back and think about it first before you run in and go, here's what I've got. and Think about the implications of it is is really, you know, I think the aha that you got, the aha that I received. And I think, you know, when we get interns at CAMI and work with them or uh, when we were doing fellowship programs in some of my prior lives, that ability is really one of the the, the key skills to kind of take on. The other thing that I like to do, uh, and it, this relates to self-awareness, but it really ties into the communication, the public speaking, the facilitation skills. At the end of the semester with my MHA skills, I have them present on projects like many of us do. Yeah. But I ask them to present twice. 
So I allow them to present and record themselves. And that way they have the opportunity to do what they thought they would do, to see that project to completion, to have a planned, perfect representation of what they were intending. Then I have them present live to the group. And what I do is I change the parameters last minute. And I say, okay, just like it has probably happened to you, it's happened to me many times. You spend weeks preparing an analysis or an idea, a pitch for a group, and you get in the meeting and we're now 54 minutes into the meeting and it's not your turn yet. And the CEO says, okay, I need to step out in three minutes for a call. Did you have something you wanted to share? <laughs> yeah. Right? That's happening. to you. It's happened to me so many times. We take ourselves so seriously, right? It hurts a little bit. So yeah. So I do that. And then I ask them probing questions. And I I I I do not what I would necessarily do in a professional role because I tend to take a softer approach, but I, I mimic that behavior of now you don't have the time you had allocated. Oops, the projector's not working. Sorry. Can you just go ahead and share really quickly? You have two minutes and then we're going to take a vote, right? I try to do some of that to to force them to feel what what it's going to feel like to be on their toes a little bit. That's so true. I mean, my my learning was um, the chairman of the board of graduate health system was this uh, really fascinating guy, Harold Kramer, uh, who pulled together at the time, the largest health system in, in the Philadelphia market. So again, as a fellow, you were, you know, invited to the board meetings. So I remember sitting at the board meetings and then um, you'd have your presentation already. And I've seen even like more senior exec, obviously more senior executives than myself, and they'd be getting ready to do their presentation to, to Mr. Kramer, as we always kind of referred to him at, at that time. And so they were getting ready and they would start their presentation and inevitably he would stop them and go, look, what's the bottom line? <laughs> And, and the bottom line wasn't just purely financial, but is what does this mean? And let's get away from all of the stuff that's kind of related to that. And uh, that level of experience um, is, is still sticks with me is you need to come up with the solutions pretty quickly. There's something about academia where we have a lot of preliminaries, right? We're taught to write a literature review and then craft our methods. But really, when you're in a practice-based environment and as an instructor trying to make those practice-based assessments and 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 emulate that as much as you can, it's about getting to a solution. And oftentimes, it's about the packaging of your solutions. You can have a wonderful idea, and if you fail to execute and explain it well, you have a problem. And so uh, <laughs> I've had many of those moments. Um, in, 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 in academia and in the workforce where people said, okay, just stop right now. And can you just tell me what you're, what you're trying to lead me to? (laughs) And so I I provide the students a chance to have their nice little crisp presentation without me interjecting. And then we have a little fun with it. Right. (laughs) right, right. Well, Ashley, this has been a great conversation and I think, uh, you know, would be, it should be really helpful to our students kind of thinking about where do I kind of go and what do, what do I do? Let me ask you, I mean, it, it, you know, given your background and the variety of different kind of fields that you worked on, one, one bit of advice for a student who is pursuing their master's in healthcare management or the master's in quality and safety or in population health, you know, what would be the one thing to say to that student that could make them think about what their career path will look like? piece of advice that I've been provided over and over again throughout my career, regardless of, of where I've been at, has been to to link up with a mentor. And that's not the piece of advice I'm giving you all today because I think everybody has gotten that advice. But regardless of how you progress, you need to be finding individuals who you can learn and grow from, but also that you can serve, 
and I think that's really important to see how can I learn from them, but also how can I benefit the work that they're doing in their health system and their work. Um, I think that the, the number one factor that's made a difference for me in my career, uh, and I've seen make a difference for many, many students, is being willing um, and able to assume authority and accountability for additional functions. And I, I teach a whole, I'll, I'll try to pare it down to 30 seconds, but I teach a whole lecture on this idea of when you start in a new role, you may be asked to enter data into a spreadsheet, enter it into a spreadsheet and send it back with a graph and a few sentences in the email and analysis, take it from data entry to analysis. You've been asked to analyze, put together two, three versions, right? The detail and some recommendations now in that email, take it from analysis to recommendations. You've been asked to put together recommendations, right? Go out and find additional evidence in the field, see what other facilities are doing, but always take it a step further. I have taken little pieces of initiative throughout my career and it has made so much difference. Hmm. And so that was a key skill that came through here. And that's what I would say is whatever you're delegated something respectfully and, and as appropriate, Take initiative to take that a little bit further, to dig a little bit deeper each time. Yeah, no, two really great pieces of advice. And we just completed a recent podcast on the importance of mentorship, uh, where we had uh, two great senior executives on and talking about the give and take that, you know, as a mentor, you're providing something, but you're also receiving something back. Uh, so, you know, hopefully people kind of tune on to that with uh, uh, Gail Capizola and um, Jones, but uh, th this has been a great conversation. Uh, Ashley, thank you very much for your time. I, you know, I, I appreciate all that you're doing at Appalachian State, and I know, uh, you know, we're kind of working toward CAMI accreditation at Appalachian State. I think our site visit team will be out there very shortly. So, you know, best of luck with uh, with with that process. Thank you very much for your time. Today. Thank you excited looking forward to the site visit and i appreciate you having me on today it's been a pleasure thank you for listening to the master your healthcare career podcast hosted by dr anthony stanowski cami president and ceo subscribe rate us and leave a review for more information you can visit www.cami.org